Okay, we are we are picking up uh, in the the same theme that we had uh, a week a week and a half ago. I'm sorry, two weeks ago. And this is let me just read in Mark chapter seven, uh, verse um, fourteen. And you remember what had happened here is that the the Pharisees had said that you really ought to wash your hands and go through all these other practices before you eat. And Jesus then was was teaching them in Mark 7, verse 14. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him, if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So it's interesting to see the, the, the list that Jesus talked about. He said, you know, he starts even with evil thoughts. He talks about fornications. Fornications are not not merely sex outside of marriage, it's, it, it's, it can even include bestiality, it can, it, it can in, include uh, um, uh, any disorder within the sexual realm. This is what it's talking about. That, it, it, and it, it's also, scripturally, it's also inclusive of adultery. Uh, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. He says, all of these proceed from within and defile the man. So we were talking about making a distinction, scripturally, making a distinction between the things that are, are, uh, are here, that, that, that are legalisms, and the things that are specifically written in the Word of God. So Jesus gives us this list right here at the end, that he specifically says, these are the things you want to focus on. These are the things that you've got to deal with. And you guys are worried about washing hands before eating. Those are rules of men. Those are separate from what we're talking about here. And I want to look at another verse. Before, last time we had looked at Romans 14, I want to look at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to look a little bit more. Now, um, you have to understand the culture at the time. Uh, there was this. There were people that that had certain restrictions on food. Some we read last time that some people, the weaker people, would only eat vegetables. We think, oh, the person's really scriptural. They they only eat, they only eat vegetables. They don't eat meat. They're really spiritual. And the scriptures say that's actually the weaker person. It said in Romans chapter fourteen. There's, there's issues around food. There's also issues in the Bible about eating food that was sacrificed to idols. We don't worry about that in our culture today, but that was indicative of the things that were occurring in that culture at that time. So, for example, if you read the writings of C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest philosophical minds 
of the 20th century. If you read his writings, so much of his writings talked about war and the Nazis and the Germans and Europe. Why? Because he was alive during the time of World War II. So, so, much of his, so many of his analogies focused around analogies concerning war. Which, if you read his writings today and you don't know that, you think, why is this guy always talking about war and the Nazis and Germany? Because that was, he, he was there in London during the bombings uh, uh, by Germany of London. And so th- these were the things that were going on. So uh, what's going on in the time is that some people would sacrifice food to idols and then sell it in the market, marketplace or, or eat it. So, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and the one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not condemn us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whom, say, Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when he is, it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I may not cause my brother to stumble. So, what is he talking about here? He said, some people who have been accustomed to sacrificing to idols and eating those, that food, now when they came to Christ and become Christians, it bothers them to eat that kind of food. <clears throat> he says, there's no deep spiritual meaning about that food because there really is only one God. There's no deep spiritual meaning. But if it bothers his conscience, let him not eat it. And in another portion, it even talks about the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, if if your brother is offended by this, don't do this in his presence. So, uh, if we think about this, what, what might be an analogy? I'll give you an analogy. There is nothing sinful about going to a bar. There's nothing sinful about that, going to a bar. Show me the verse if that bothers you. Okay, There's nothing sinful. But if it bothers you, don't go. It bothers me, so I don't go. Now, once in a while, I might be in a hotel and there'll be a group of us in a, on a, a business sort of meeting and they'll go and they'll sit in the bar and I don't drink. There's no problem with drinking alcohol, but I'll have, a, have usually, usually just sparkling water, club soda or something like that. But some people, if they saw me sitting in that bar in that hotel, would take an offense. That, oh, there's Dr. Tour. He's sitting in a bar. wonder what he's drinking. You know? And so they might get offended by that. So if I'm with somebody that would be offended, I don't do it. You see what I mean? And so there are certain offenses that people get 
that are totally unscriptural. I'll give you another one. So, some people feel that smoking, you smoke a cigarette, that is a sin. It is not a sin, it is merely stupid. It is not a sin. There is nothing specific in the scriptures about that being sinful. It's not particularly good for you, and we know that. But it doesn't make a person into a sinner. So, for example, there are muffins in the back, and I was trying to see how, how much fat and how many calories were in one muffin. Because the muffins, remember, unit per unit, are less toxic than cigarettes. Because if you smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, people smoked 20 cigarettes a day for 50 years, and they were still alive. If you ate 20 muffins a day for one year, you would die. I mean, there's so much fat and calories in those, you couldn't survive for one year. So unit per unit, the muffins are worse than cigarettes. <clears throat> so does that make muffins sinful? No, not at all. Enjoy your muffins. <clears throat> but it's something in moderation. So, so the scriptures don't say, the scriptures don't say that alcohol is sinful. What it says is alcohol in excess. It says, be not drunk. That is specific commandment in the New Testament. But if it offends my brother, I'm not to do it. And now I want you to turn to um, uh, Colossians chapter 2. So you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. General Electric Power Company. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Colossians 2.16 Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or of a new moon or of a Sabbath day. Things that are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So I'm reading from Colossians 2.16 and 17. So, one day I sat next to a man on an airplane and he was a Christian and I was Christian. We start struck up this conversation. He was talking and he says, you know, for me, I don't eat pork. In fact, I only eat according to what it's talked about in the scriptures, this, this, this law of Moses eating. I thought, okay? And he says, and when Christians violate that, they're hurting themselves. And that's when right away I was like, man, this is great for you, but you can't put it upon another. This is what the Scriptures are saying. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or new moon or Sabbath day. You know, some Christians will feel if you don't go to church on Christmas and on Easter, you are in big, big trouble. Christmas Day, you've got to go to church. Did you know there's no reference to Christmas anywhere in the Bible? <clears throat> we don't know what day Jesus was born. <clears throat> we don't know. It's not listed December 25th. It is not listed. Nobody knows what day he was born. may have been born during the Feast of Tabernacles. We don't know. We specifically don't know what day. And so if it's really important to be in church on the day that Jesus was born, you're probably wrong on the day you're there. I mean, the thing that you can do is go to church every day and then you're sure to hit it, if that's, if that's really important. But some people feel that that's so important that they feel that you're sinning if you're not in church on Christmas Day. There's no, 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 no commandment to be in church on Christmas Day. In fact, it says, don't let any man be your judge in regard to a Sabbath day. You know when the Sabbath is? The Sabbath is not Sunday. It is not the Christian. The Sabbath, scripturally, has always been from Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. That is the Sabbath 24-hour day. 
If you're in church on Sunday, it's not the Sabbath day. You're in, in church the first day of the week. You're not in church on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is Saturday, always has been, always will be. So when, when one puts something upon a day, you know, there, there's some folks who feel that you've got to be in church on Sunday. Some people like to go Saturday night. It doesn't bother me just as long as you're in fellowship. There is no scriptural command that we have to be in church on Sunday even. Bothers a lot of people if you're not in church on Sunday, but it says, let no man be your judge in this. Uh, I think it's a great practice as a family. You have a family, choose a day and you go and you're together as a family and it brings families together, brings people together. It is a wonderful thing. It says the believers in the book of Acts met together on the first day of the week, but it never says, and so you must also. It doesn't say that. There are other things that it says, and so you must also, but not that. And it says, let no man be your judge. Verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize of delighting in uh, of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, not fo- holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. So you see, he says, stop, def- let no one keep defrauding you of this prize. You think that self-abasement is going to help you. There are, there are certain Christian denominations around the, country, around the world that will beat themselves with chains on their back. And they think that you know, this is purifying them. It says the self-abasement does nothing. Self-abasement does nothing. Or, or this, this is common that people will, will or worship angels or taking his stand on visions he has seen. Some people say, oh, I saw a vision. And... You know, just lock into it. Is this, this is the Word of God. If that's the Word of God for you, fine. But your vision doesn't apply to me. Show me in the Bible. This is what applies to me. If God has shown you a vision, good. That's good for you. But you, you'll meet people like this. God spoke this to me. Well, He didn't speak it to me. Go do it. If He spoke that to you, go do it. But unless you can show me in the Word of God, that's not for me. And you will meet people in your Christian life that you know, God spoke to them this, and then the next day God spoke to them that, and it's, it's orthogonal to this. It's, it, it, it's different than what God told them the day before, and I'm scratching my head. So God changed His mind, did He? I mean, between yesterday and today, because He spoke one thing to you yesterday, I was thinking, so one of those two days, it wasn't God, or maybe both, it wasn't God. And he says, uh, verse 20, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which were all referred to the things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. And you will find the commandments and teachings of men are like this. Don't taste. Don't touch. Oh, don't go there. Maybe it's not the wisest thing to go there. But is it a spiritual issue? Now, there are places that you don't want to go. But what is the issue in it? What is the issue in not going? So, so for example, you wouldn't... I'll give you an example. You wouldn't want to go to a house of prostitution. Because we are specifically told to stay free of things that push us into sensuality. So, that is a place we don't go. But to say that, oh, you, you know, if, if you walk through that building... 
um, you're going to be defiled. I mean, this is nonsense. That doesn't happen. And look in verse 23. That's the, the sum of this. There are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. You take a chain and you beat your back. It will do nothing for your fleshly indulgence. The same struggles you have in your mind before you beat yourself with the chain, you will have in your mind after you beat yourself with the chain, except your back will also hurt. Yeah. All right? So, so that doesn't do anything to keep us from, from fleshly indulgence. This comes by setting ourselves apart with God. Now, lest I give you the feeling that, okay, you're free to do whatever you want, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And, and in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read a portion. And this really is great instruction. And this is not something that we can flippantly just take hold of. This takes an absolute lifetime of working and praying and say, God, do this in my life. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, reading from verse 17. And I'm going to read large portions. I will stop occasionally just for some commentary and we're going to press on. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. And what I want you to realize in this is I want you to realize what God is calling us to and the depth at which He's calling us to change. So this I say to you in verse 17. This I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Okay, so what's Paul starting out here? He says, this I say and affirm together with the Lord. Paul's saying, this isn't just me talking. This is the Lord's instruction to us. That we're not to walk as the Gentiles walk. And in this, he's not referring to those who are non-Jews, that he's referring in general to those who are unbelievers. Verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, have, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with, with greediness. So you see that, that what, what he's got here is, is what he's dealing with. is he, he says that so often people will exclude themselves from this because of their ignorance or hardness of heart. If we harden our hearts to these things, say, I can do whatever I want. You harden your heart. You will see that you will start having a separation between you and God. When you harden your heart to things. If you want to see how to get away from God, commit sin. Sin will separate us from God. It will separate us from a relationship with God. He says that, that uh, uh, they've given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So, why is this prudish old professor talking about issues of sensuality? Hey, get with it, man. Let me tell you something. These rappers and these people that all talk about these things and sensuality and all this, they are going to die and all be long gone. And this book will remain. This book will remain. The scriptures will remain. What God has taught us will remain. I have seen this in my own life. I grew up in the 60s and the 70s. There were the lovins and the free love and the hippie movements and everybody was sleeping around. Grand old thing. Marriages meant really nothing. People were wife swapping and husband swapping. Brought utter destruction into people's lives. This book remains. Those people are gone. This book remains. This remains true. This is for all ages. 
and it talks about sensuality with greediness. In marriage, if you go through my series on scriptural sexual ethics on my website, it will teach in marriage how it is a self-donation one to the other. If this word, if this thought, if this action is not in the other's best interest, it is not the love of God. If I have a physical need for myself that is utter greediness, it is a total self-donation one for the other. One for the other. It is a self-donation. We give ourselves one to another. And in that way, it is not greediness. When it is done wrongly, it is pure and utter greediness. I want this for me and for myself. And that is where sensuality takes one. And he says, in verse 20, But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in like, likeness of God and having been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Look what he's calling us to. He is calling us to be more like God. Why would he do this? Because your life will be much better when you do this. Much better. The scripture is doing this for our own sake. He's got something good for us here. This is the instruction for us. Let's read on verse 26. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speaking truth to each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. So he says, speak truthfulness. Speak honestly. If you learn to speak honestly in every situation, you will be promoted in your jobs. People know when somebody is lying. They sense it. They feel it. If you speak honestly, you will, you will, you will be... Uh, uh, Things will go well for you in your life. You speak honestly, he says. Speak honestly with your neighbors. Then he says, be angry. I mean, things are going to happen in life. But don't sin and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with that before you even go to bed. Deal with it. Deal with that anger. He says, don't take it with you or you're going to give the devil an opportunity in your life. Verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who, who has need. So he says, those of you who are thieves, stop stealing. Stop stealing and work with your own hands. Not so that you can just feed your own mouth, because he says, I want you to work to the point where you will start sharing with other people in need. That is good for you. If you say, well, I'm a student, I don't make anything, but when I do, then I'll start being generous. You lie to yourself. You lie to yourself. It is harder. The more money you make, the harder it is to give proportionately. If you give 10%, and in fact, it's Old Testament to give 10%. The Scriptures, in fact, call us to much more. It talks us to, to generosity. If you... Say, well, you know, I'll give 10% when I start getting a real job. It gets harder when you get a real job. You take and you give something now. Not that this body of Christ, that this church will benefit from your $5 a week. It is for your sake. It is for your sake. 
you get this pattern in your life. You learn to be generous. And if you've got this habit of downloading music and keeping things on your iPhone that doesn't belong to you, get out of that habit. Because what you do now, you think oh, this is just a little thing. You'll do worse. What I tell students is if, if, you, if you cheat in, in the laboratory and you, you, you report something fraudulently, it will become much easier the next time and the next time and the next time. And you will be caught. He says, stop stealing. We need to hear this. I need to hear this. I need to look at this and say, God, what is it in my life? Teach me to be generous with those in need. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So he says, watch your language. This is why we want to have control of the words that we use. And it doesn't come by just saying, yeah, I won't use that language anymore. Good luck. It comes by a pattern of God working my life. Change my language. Change my tongue. When I came to the Lord, I was 18 years old. I had worked in a gas station with ex-convicts and all sorts of people. My language was really bad. In fact, it was really hard to control it. It seemed like just my normal talk. These words started coming out. But with God, you can be retrained. And he says, let no unwholesome word come from your mouth. It's a word of encouragement. Rather than you see a group of people picking on somebody or making fun of somebody, you can change that entire conversation in a group of people with a word. Just say, I have the same sort of problems in my life. Whoa. I have the same sort of problems in my life. I've struggled with the same sort of thing. Or... We all have problems. Let's leave the guy alone. Just change the conversation with a word. You be the one to step in. And you know what will happen? Is not only will you deliver that one from suffering, the suffering all of us have experienced at the mouths of a group of other people. We've all experienced that pain and that rejection. But also, people around you will see it and they'll want to be your friend when you speak positively of other people. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit lives in you. That's why when we do these things, we feel this, this sticking in the heart. And if you've gotten to the point where you can do things and it doesn't bother you in the heart, you've gone too far, way too far. These things should stop us. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. If you go around thinking, well, I can forgive anybody, but that one person, well, then you have a problem that you must come before God and say, God, you have forgiven me. In the same way that you have forgiven me, let me forgive the other. I don't know what you've gone through. Very often, through, through uh, uh, sexual abuse, sexual sin, people feel that I could never forgive that person. You don't have to make that person your friend, but you have to release that. And I'm not the one asking you, Jesus, the one who stood on the cross, He is the one who looked down from the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, as He stuck up on the cross. He is the one that calls us because He gives grace to walk in forgiveness. Chapter 5 of Ephesians. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in the love, just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. 
But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. That verse 3, that immorality is speaking of sexual immorality. The NIV even, I think, puts the word sexual immorality in that, in that place. This is why. This is why we keep harping on this. Because the culture is going one way and we cannot go that way. He's calling us to something better. And we are so inundated. You, you can't turn on a TV and you know all these shows come on and every word out of these people's mouths is some sexual innu- innuendo. And so the culture is going one direction and we must stay focused on another because long after those people are dead and gone, this book will remain. People will follow and meditate on this book. That will go away. And if you think, oh, you know, the culture is changing. Let me tell you something. In the 60s and 70s, in many ways, it was much worse than it is now. And people saw that destruction. And there was a refocusing. There must be no filthiness and silly talk in in verse 4. Silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. When there's a coarse jesting and we pick on people, that is so painful. All of us have experienced the pain of rejection when groups have done that to us. Verse 5, For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Look at what the New Testament does. It equates covetousness with idolatry. Covetousness is, I want what my neighbor has. I want my neighbor's wife. I want my neighbor's car. I want my neighbor's house. This is idolatry. Verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly dark you you for you were formerly darkness but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the lord so he says formerly you were in darkness he says this is your past he says but you can be redeemed and now we are called to walk in this We're called to read these passages and say, Lord, do this in my life. Though we are free from from, uh, uh, things that have legalism, these we're not free from. These are commandments of God that are to keep us on the right course. He says in verse 11, Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So look how he summarizes this whole thing. He says, take all that stuff and replace it with this. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He says, encourage one another in the things of God. 
Then he says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even to God. Giving thanks for all things. When you learn to have a thankful spirit, it is such a beautiful thing. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this. You know, thank you that I have a car. Not the greatest car, but thank you for the car that I have. Thank you for my job. Yeah, there's these few struggle things in it. But I'm glad, Father, to have a job. Thank you for this job. Thank you for a spouse. Thank you for my children. Learn to give thanks for the things that you have. And you will be promoted at your work. Periodically, I will write a note to the dean, to the, to the provost, to the president, uh, to the department chair. Just say, thank you for making this a great place to work. You know, it's not perfect. But I thank them for making it a great place to work. And you know what happens? When it comes around, so, so there, there, there are certain cost of living raises, which has been almost nothing lately. And then there are certain merit raises. You know, if somebody is thankful, you want to give them a little bit more. To the person who's always spitting and complaining, you can take two professors Right across the hall from each other. One professor is happy, loves his work, and just everything. The other pr- professor is spitting and cursing all the time. This lousy, stinking place. Isn't it? And I heard one old professor, we were in the locker room at, 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 the, at the, the, the rec center, and he was complaining about the size of the lockers. He said, ah, these are high school-sized lockers. There are men in here. We need man-sized lockers. These are for high school I mean, such a beautiful rec center. I mean, that place is a paradise. You should have seen the rec center we used to have. It would have shamed any junior high school. And then he just focuses it, and he says, and there's only eight showers. What kind of places? Only eight showers. Well, I, every time I've gone to the shower, there's been a shower there. I mean, compared to the showers we used to have in the, in the old one, I mean, you well, like you turn on the water and just come dripping and you try to find some dripping thing and that's the best you could find. Two people have two totally different views. It is so much more pleasant in life to be the one who is thankful. He says, this is, take all that junk that creeps into your life and replace it with this and you will be so much happier. Let me tell you something. This book will remain. The things in this book will remain. These things were written more than 2,000 years ago, and they remain. All this other chatter you hear about and all this sexual debauchery, you read about that sexual stuff in the book of Genesis. You think homosexuality is something new? Read about it in the book of Genesis. Read about it. It's right there in the book of Genesis. That was written about 4,000 years ago. No, no, more than that. That was written about 3,500 years before Jesus. So 5,000 years ago. So it's not a new invention. Alright? People have known about this for a long time. This book will remain and what it teaches. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Father, for these young people that you would set them free from being under the bondage of men but they would freely give themselves to walk under the commandments of Christ. They would ta- they would ta- that they would take these commandments in Scripture, in the New Testament, and give themselves wholly to it. Father, do this in their lives, that they would become thankful people, encouraging people. Father, I pray for your grace in their lives. The grace of God abound in their lives, I pray. Father, work in their lives. 
Lord, I pray that you would provide for them good spouses in your time after your own choosing. I pray, Father, that you would cause them to take on your perspective on sexuality, the perspective from your word. Father, that they would reserve themselves for their future spouses in marriage and not before. Father, I pray that you would take these young people and so work in their lives that they would take up these things that are taught in scriptures, that they would stay away from the things that the scripture warns about and they would move toward the things the scriptures have told them to move into. And you would provide them with good children and good homes. Father, work in their lives, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I commit them to you. Amen.